listeners, and welcome to the Downright Upright Show, the place to go to hear out loud and proud what Minnesotans are thinking, and I am your host, Philip Anthony. I'm so glad you can join us today, and I hope you're all doing fantabulous. That's fantastic and fabulous. Put together twice as good as just fabulous or just as good, twice as good as fantastic. Uh, before I introduce my guest today, I just wanted to make a correction uh, to an error I made on episode 18 with Keith Johnson. I had mentioned that Catherine Crosby's daughter started the made-for-TV movie Wonder Woman from 1974. It seems that Kathy Lee Crosby, the star of the movie, was no relation to Catherine and Bing Crosby at all. Silly me. Mary Crosby, the actress who shot J.R. in the TV series Dallas, however, was her daughter, like Keith had mentioned. So it's my bad, so I slap myself. Bad Philip. Okay, so my special guest today is peace activist, blogger, campaign strategist, and author of Practical Political Campaigns for Progressive Candidates, Grace Kelly. Welcome, Miss Grace Kelly, to the Downright Upright Show. May I call you by your nickname, Kelly? Oh, please do call me Kelly. (laughs) Okay, I will. Um, Before we begin delving into your amazing career, can you tell our listeners where you were born, where you were raised, where you went to school, and et cetera, et cetera? Well, I was born in Wisconsin, but I had the wisdom to go to other places. And I traveled across the United States, and I kept coming back to Minnesota. And Minnesota is my heart and my home. Me too. It's my heart and my home. I was born in New York, but I, I, I should have lived here my whole life. I love it. I love the people. I love the, the four seas. I love everything about it. Um, How did you enter into the realm of campaign strategizing? Was there a particular person or event that inspired you? Um, I became involved in campaign politics because I saw the environmental crisis coming. Um, I saw that we were getting into wars and being distracted from taking care of our own people and our own place. Mm -hmm. And... um, and I was in corporate. Uh, I was a corporate project manager, and my heart just did not feel like it was in the right place. And I was, I guess, lucky enough to get uh, to to get a buyout. And I took that money and I said, "What's the best thing I can do with my life?" And I said, "You know, we need to change some decisions we're making." And I've always been an analyst, so I started thinking about how to do things and what types of strategies work the best. And um, uh, and through a friend of mine, I ended up writing about it. I ended up on the DFL Executive Committee traveling throughout the state. And I was so lucky because so many campaigns, I would say, I want to try out this idea. I want to see it works over in Egan. Does it work in your neck of the woods? And they would say, sure. And I would try it, and I would write about it. And I, and I found that there are some things that are universal and some things you have to adapt according to where they are and some things you should never do, you know, like outside of the urban area. There's a lot of different nuances, and sometimes this, the difference between a successful strategy is just knowing a few details of how to do it well. And so I have been trying to get that information out and teach people about it, and, um, and I started by blogging, and then my friend put together my blog articles because he said, I got tired of trying to find them online, and he put them together in a book, and that's how we got to the book. And, of course, throughout this time, I've been working on various campaigns. And the last campaign, I was lucky to manage Senator Sandy Pappas's campaign. She's an awesome candidate. What, what district is she in? Sandy? Senate District 65, St. Paul. Ah. Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. okay. Uh, now, of course, I'm not biased, but St. Paul is the best. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Everybody has to say that about their home. Well, where I live is a suburb of St. Paul. So are we still considered buddies? Yes. Well, you live in Egan, and I work for the Jim Carlson campaign twice. And I have door knocked more doors in Egan than I ever did in St. Paul. Okay. Because it mattered, and Egan folks are just wonderful, too. Thank you. I know. Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. Well, um, I want to go off on a little bit of a tangerine here, if you don't mind. Um, wh- why did you pick blogging instead of running yourself for, ca- uh, for an office? Um, are you not the type to be in politics yourself, or what stopped you from doing that? Well, there there are great people who love to be in front of the room and love to lead. Uh-huh. I love to figure out how best to do things. That's my specialty. Okay. And I can lead from the front of the room, but it's very tiring for me because I'm an introvert. And I figured out that if I got 20 great people elected, that was more than one candidate, Grace Kelly. Mm-hmm. And I could really make an impact in my life by getting you know, great people out there. So I think I'm a great second in command. I'm a great manager strategist. But, um, you know, the people who speak in front of the room, I love those people. I need those people. And good for them. <laughs> we all want people who can do that. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned Jim Carlson. I mean, uh, his campaign was, was great. I mean, oh, it, you. You, you did it. You helped him so immensely. And I'm sure he's very grateful to you. We had the greatest team. I mean, he, we put together a team that was just awesome. It wasn't just me. There were some great thinkers on there. But one of the things, for example, we did is Egan hadn't been worked. It had been Polenti Place. And we started, like, doing every door. We start early. We worked through so much of Egan, you wouldn't believe it. And... People noticed, and it, it was a thing that when we started talking and we started working at it, um, uh, that real conversations change the way politics work. And in fact, I believe that real conversations are the only things that really change people's minds permanently. Mm-hmm. Media is like kind of like a flavor of the moment. Mm-hmm. And so it's these and, – and in many ways, I think what you're doing here is also more of a real conversation than most media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, thank you. And the, the fact that I do a blog – I mean, a, yeah, a blog, a podcast, <laughs> that's what you do and I do the podcast. Um, <laughs> that's what happens when you become a senior citizen, you know. Um, no, just kidding. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the fact I – the reason I do this podcast is because I, I – I, there are so many amazing Minnesotans out there with so many amazing ideas. And um, I just wanted to share, the, you know, the, the, the sound. There's a, Minnesota has a sound, if you know what I'm saying. It has an aura. Um, we're different. You know, you don't hear, oh, I don't like – African-Americans, or I don't like this person. This doesn't really go on very often in Minnesota. It's not like other states where they, you know, there's a lot of uh, segmentation, you know, and everybody's in their own corners. Minnesotans tend to be very cohesive, in my opinion. I mean, I'm sure there's people that aren't, of course. but um, We what- care about each other. I think it's the snow. <laughs> see, see, we have to take care of each other because we have horrible weather that really impacts everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. if we didn't take care of each other, well, this would not be such a nice place to live. I know, I know. And, and my neighbor went away um, on vacation, and it's that remember a couple of months ago, it snowed really pretty badly. I snow, I took out my snowblower and did my driveway and his driveway. So there when he you. came back, he was. Oh, thank you. How and, Minnesotan of you. And he does the same for me when I'm not here. You know, so we, we, you know, one hand washes the other, and you know, and I love that about this place. And people are so polite. Don't you notice, like, in Minnesota? Because <laughs> you've lived elsewhere, you know, and mm-hmm. I love it. I just love it. Anyway, um, I'm a fan. Uh, <laughs> so um, your book, let's talk about your book. How's that? Okay. Your book is not actually a campaign manual, um, but a series of campaign blog articles. How can a person use something like that? Well, imagine that you're sitting there at midnight Mm -hmm. and you're thinking about, well, what phrase, what would I do? How would I, how do I want to spend this money? And, you know, calling um, someone for a consult at midnight would be very expensive. No. If you could even get them on there. Right. But you can pull up my book 
you could you could get it online for ten bucks and you can surf through it. You can look for keywords, and then when you find the article that talks about what you should be deciding maybe for what kind of things, and then it gives you some ideas, right. you know. And so you can get a lot of information and and here. So it's like having an experienced consultant at your fingertips, and all you have to do is word search. Mm-hmm. And then when you find that article, read it. Mm-hmm. One article and, well, according to Ivor, who used my articles, which is why he became my co-author, he says, what are your, one of your articles is just worth everything, Kelly. I wanted it to have right at my fingertips any time I had to make a decision, but I didn't want to read a whole campaign manual. Nobody does these days. Mm-hmm. And not only that, every campaign's different. Mm-hmm. You have to adapt you have to think about it so what you need to know is what's you know help me frame this decision help me have some ideas help me work this through you know mm-hmm. like you know do i want to do signs and how many signs should i do and when should i put them up well i have a fantastic sign article in the blog thing and you can go from zero to like 60 just by reading one article mm-hmm. And do the issues, um, like when you go door knocking, you know, when you when you put together this book and you go door knocking, do the issues come up in, uh, well, obviously they, they do it on occasion, but are they the main thing that you get to, uh, you know, kind of convince that person to vote for your candidate? Or are, are there other, or, you, or you, do you zone in on a specific issue or what's your methodology about that? So that's kind of the misnomer that people think is that uh, people vote on issues, and really, they 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 really have more of, of an emotional connection to things and people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for an example, when somebody comes to your door, mm-hmm. they essentially said, "I care about you as a person. I want to talk to you personally." You know. Just the fact that they're oh, there yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, a, is, is, is a connection to you in an important way. Mm-hmm. And if they smile at you and they greet you and you have a wonderful 20 seconds, even if you say, I'm so busy I can't talk to you, you still think, that candidate sent somebody to my door to me. Mm-hmm. You know, They didn't treat me like I was an automatic you know, um, vote for them. They cared about me. Right. And, it, and it starts with that emotional connection. So the more that you have that connection, you start with a connection with people, you go to a connection on values, and then you go to a connection on issues. Issues is really the last thing. That sounds oh. strange, but that's true. Yeah, you know, that. thank you for saying that, because I would have thought it was the opposite way around. I thought maybe you... You know, bring up an issue, and is this important to you? And they'll say yes, and then then that's how you hook them in, kind of. But you're doing it the other way around. You're going on a personal level with them, and Correct. then after that, yes. you you delve into the issues themselves. Am I right? Yes, that's amazing. See, so so you know, if if the first message to you is I care about you, yeah, I mean, doesn't that make a difference, even if we disagree? Oh yeah. I could see that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you that's why you're here, Kelly. <laughs> I mean, you know, I I find this this is a very fascinating thing because again, I've always volunteered and done stuff, but I never uh I should read your manual and think, <laughs> maybe next time I door knock, I'll do some of your uh, little tricks, you know. There is there is a very good article in this collection about door knocking and about getting the right attitude. And I even talk about, um, okay, so everyone's afraid that someone's going to be mean to them at their door. That's the big one, yeah. That's the big thing. I think that that's the last thing you should fear. First of all, if you think about it and you're ready for it, it's kind of fun. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody get ferociously mad, but they're not going to hurt you. I mean, you know. Well, they usually... You know, give you a, a zinger and they close the door. You know, right? You, and, and and you think, well, I made their day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But statistically, and I do every door door knocking all the time. There are very, very few of them, and 
as soon as I had that one, I go, well, statistically, this means I'm going to have a rest of the great day and this next door is going to be fabulous. And I go with that attitude. And, um, and sometimes I'm even been able to charge the grumpy ones. I love charming the grumpy ones. They're the best. I mean, you feel like you've really scored when you've got one of them, you know? Do you bat your eyelids or something? What do you try? Well, if somebody comes up to you and goes, oh, I don't want to talk to you. You're just a Democrat. And I go, well, I want to talk to you. Are you just a Republican? Because we could have an interesting conversation. And they look shocked. <laughs> wow. And sometimes they take me on. In one time in Egan, there was a series of Republicans that had um, that, that that knew where I was coming around their area, so they called each other up and they they saw the path I was going and they all mugged me at one house and I took on like two or three of them at a time, and it was one of the most delightful conversations of our lives. Are you serious? Yeah, wow. I think I got their votes for Jim Carlson. <laughs> no way. Well, because they were looking for certain things. They were looking for somebody who would make transportation better, okay? And they were looking for someone who'd get into details. And they admit that somebody who could make roads work in Egan were a kind of a big thing. Uh So I kind of went on that. They admitted that they would rather have, you know, if you were going to get treated for a medical thing, you would want to have a doctor as opposed to a non-doctor. Well, if you wanted to have somebody, you know, designing things in the Senate, you would rather have an engineer than a non-engineer. And Jim's an engineer. Yes, he is. Yeah. And, well, you begin to, without repeating the whole conversation, you get began to see that I made a few points. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, they're never going to tell me they're going to vote for Jim Carlson. But what they did say is I made some good points, which to me... <gasps> That's everything. But you opened the door. Yeah. I opened the door. And you opened the door to them possibly consi- even considering to cross-vote. You know? But the other thing, too, is that I treated them with you know, respect. Right. You know, I, I, I tried to speak to them from where I was uh-huh. and not change where I was and speak to where they were. And they could feel that. They liked that. The number one thing that persuades Republicans when I'm working door to door is respect Mm. because they don't expect it from a Democrat at the door. You never get you're you're never, never supposed to get angry or nasty with someone because you, you get more bees with honey. than with vinegar, right? You're not only supposed to be not nasty, you're supposed to think this is a wonderful person in front of me and if I can speak the right kind of words to him or her, uh-huh. that I might be able to persuade them or at least get them to question it a little bit. Absolutely. Because it takes yeah. a lot of time to persuade. Makes a lot of sense. And, and what I was going to ask you was, what if you – like your door knocking – and you, I find this fascinating, by the way. I just do, I because I do this. I do door knock, and I, I, I'm going to pick. I'm definitely picking up your manual. I definitely am. Um, if you see a Republican yard sign, would you still knock on that door, or or would you bypass it? If it was a Republican, well, it depends upon my mood. that's a good answer okay and then timing and stuff like that because you know if if it's close to the end and i'm and i'm running out of energy then i won't uh if i know the person i will and if it's a republican sign for not my candidate then definitely yes if it's a republican sign for opposing my candidate i might i might or might not um it depends on how i feel but yeah, you know, I, sometimes I'll go up to the door and say, you know, I see you have a sign for, you know, blah, 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 blah. Could you tell me why you have that sign? And they'll say something well, like, yeah, my husband's really into this person, et cetera. Well, that's a lead-in because maybe the person in front of me is not. And I sat there and said, well, you know, I, 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 um, I understand he's got some good qualities, but I think, like, for example, I might say Jim Carlson's got some really great qualities and he might be a better person to vote for. Mm. Have you considered that? You know, And it turns out that frequently in marriages, there's a split on the vote. Oh, yeah. And I might be talking to the <laughs> very person I needed to persuade. 
Ah. And she was leaning that way anyway. This happens so frequently. It does. Yeah. It ha- it's funny you're bringing this up because it happened to me. And I, um, so they, they give you like, um, you know, the list of DFL people and the, you know, to knock, make sure they get out the vote, you know, and the husband on one, uh, door had answered, uh, it was supposed to be this woman and it ended up being the man. It was her husband. And he's like, you, uh, no, no, no. Um, I'm, I'm a Republican. There's no way. Um, I'm like, um, uh, why are you voting for such and such a person? Is there? Can, can you just explain? Maybe I can. You know, maybe you can convince me. You know, <laughs> I love it. And then they explain it, and then you start to talk about your candidate and why that candidate is going to be a better choice. And I, I think I got. I, I saw like a little light bulb light up on his head. I did. I don't know what he did. I, obviously, I'm not going to be able to know that. But I, I, I found that fascinating that I was able to eat, at least let him listen to me, you know? You did so many things right. The first thing you did is you asked him to talk and, and you listened to him. Mm-hmm. If you can get two minutes into a conversation, you have really good odds in, 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 in having a real conversation and having a chance to persuade. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you got two minutes Okay. Oh, yeah, I did, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and when he's telling you about this other candidates, what you learned was what he valued. Okay? Correct. You know, so let's say he valued that Republican candidate because he always kept his word. Well, Jim Carlson's one of these people who you know, really keeps his word. He's mm-hmm. very good at that. Um, maybe he valued that candidate because he was careful with money. Well, I have a list of 10 ways that Jim Carlson's proven he's really good with money. You know, um, so having a smart engineer means you make better decisions. And like, for example, one of the things that they've been doing better with Democrats is they build roads in such a way that they're more durable. So over time, you spend money, less money maintaining the roads and you have better roads. And... This is a short broadcast. Don't get into the details, but that's a very provable thing. Mm-hmm. And if that's what the person cared about, you've got a hook. Yeah. Can I segue uh, into yard signs a little bit now? Because sure. We we're talking about them, and I, I want to. I have a qu- kind of a question that I want to pick your brain about. Um, I always see yard signs on lawns in front of people's houses. How do yard signs? How? Do they help the campaign? Can you explain to the listeners what they do? Well, first of all, the first thing I want to say is yard signs vote. I want to say that because there's a saying that yard signs don't vote. Well, if you were to count votes, yard signs vote because not only when you get a yard sign do you usually have the person who's in the house voting, but their neighbors see it every day. And if it's a neighbor you think about and you talk to and they say good things, then neighbor-to-neighbor persuasion is one of the most effective tools you could possibly have. If you're driving around and you go to this little nook of the woods, like, you know, your street, you know, you wouldn't normally be traveling through this, and you see like three yard signs, they go, whoa, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, because it says that, we didn't put up a yard sign because this is a good place to put up a yard sign. We're, we're putting up a yard sign because we care about this candidate. Mm-hmm. And it's just that little testimonial. And if you see them scattered all over the place, it's a constant reminder. I think it's one of the most persuasive, effective things we have because normal media, normal billboards are so excessively expensive mm-hmm. This is one of the few ways that campaigns with very little money can have a huge impact because it's done through people power and it's not done through money power. And Democrats have to do things through people power. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree with that. But uh, on the, on the uh, opposite side of the coin, though, I've heard some of my neighbors tell me um, that they don't put yard signs out because they don't want to offend any of their neighbors. Now, what do you think about that one? Have you ever heard that, or am I the only one? Yeah, well, so first of all, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I believe in diversity, and I believe in diversity of beliefs. 
Oh, absolutely. And so to me, I would say to that neighbor, like, um, I'm very proud of what I believe in. And if you believe differently, it's okay for you to put out your yard sign too. Mm -hmm. And this is how through diversity and discussion and looking at different things, this is how we get to a better place. Mm -hmm. So I strongly believe in what I'm doing, and I urge you to do the same thing. Yeah, I, I, I said, I think I said words to that effect, uh, but she was kind of like not having it. <laughs> I yeah. don't know why, but... So there's this thing in, in, in politics where they try and make politics like not a thing to do, like, like it's slimy or something. It's exactly the opposite. If you are saying that we can't talk about politics, it's like saying we can't care about our people in our community. And I take it the opposite way. And so, yeah, if she wants that, that's fine. But, you know, sometimes we have to let our neighbors be offended. Yeah. I mean, we have to live our lives bravely. Sometimes speaking out is the best thing you can do. And having a yard sign is the, is the easiest way of speaking out. Yes. And, 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 and like you said before, yard signs do vote. Uh, and sometimes Republicans will cross vote, you said. Oh, you, yes. You have mentioned that to me. And I think, because I gave you my example, but again, I can't prove that he did vote for the candidate I was knocking for, but um, I saw a light bulb go off over his head. And so talk about cross-voting a little bit, like, if you can, Well, briefly. the first thing I want to say is that we know that there's a lot of cross-voting in, in, in Minnesota. It's very much a thing. And you can tell by looking for, at the difference between, like, an A.B. Klobuchar vote and the lowest vote-getter on the Democratic ticket it can be as much as 20 or 30%. Mm. That gives you the range. But that doesn't tell you the whole story. Um, so you know that we've had a lot of um, vote counting, and, and we every, every year we have some auditing. We, we redo some votes, okay? Mm -hmm. So I have this hobby of, of going to those things. And one of the things I do for at least a couple hours is I go to watch a table and I will watch where, like, for example, the top gubernatorial candidate is – the, the one is Republican or Democrat. And then when they're being sorted that way, I will look down ballot and I will see how much they cross-voted and I'll pick one particular candidate. Mm -hmm. And the cross-voting on, um, on my sheriff candidate – was 20% both ways. Mm -hmm. Well, I think actually we had a little bit of advantage on the Democratic side. But the thing that's, that's being hidden is Democrats will vote for Republicans as well, as well as Republicans. So the range that I described is actually a bigger range. Mm -hmm. So we have to make sure that we keep our own Democratic candidates all the way down the ballot and persuade them for everyone. But we also have to know that, that Republicans cross-vote all the time. Yes, they do. And the ones that are noted as strong Republicans, basically what they are is vocal Republicans. They will talk to you. They will express how they feel. But they're the ones that you can target because they're telling you what they care about and if they decide to vote for you, they're not going to say, oh, I'm voting for a Democratic candidate. <laughs> what they'll say is, hmm, maybe you have a point. And that's the only clue you have that maybe they'll cross vote. But they all always do it quietly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. But uh, there is a huge crossover vote. Yeah. And um, if you're not going after that crossover vote, you're losing races. Uh -huh. I mean, that's just all there is to it. Yeah, look at look at look at Georgia. I mean, like with the Kemp versus um, uh, what's his name, Herschel Walker vote. Kemp got like sixty something percent. I don't remember it was he won by a large margin. Whereas Walker in the same party, so people were cross voting. Correct, because uh, he didn't win. I mean, uh, uh, Governor Warnock. Uh, excuse me, Senator Warnock won that election against. Herschel Walker. So uh, you're proving your point. You know, it's happening. more, And I think it's ha going to happen even more now, don't you think? Oh, yeah. I think the problem that, that Democrats have been having is you persuade differently when you have a Republican. 
you know, when Republicans at the door, they do have different values. Yes. You know, so I do talk more about fiscal responsibility and spending money wisely, and I and I speak their talk, and they'll give you clues along the way. They'll give you little words that'll that'll sort of give you an idea of why they're Republican, and 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 I find that if I can make a pretty good case, I can't prove that that person cross voted, but I suspect they do. And and my my voting averages and and my observations at. Um, Audits, voting audits says there's cross voting. Yeah, and it's, and it's like I said, I think it's becoming much more uh, uh, a, a thing because, uh, like I said, I mentioned Georgia. Amy Klobuchar is winning by large margins, but Tina Smith eked out her win, right? So somebody was cross voting for Amy Klobuchar, but not for Tina Smith, even though she did win, Tina Smith but not by as much of a margin. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yep. So I guess what we're saying is that you should try and persuade everyone. There's different persuasions for different groups. That's why when we we don't know enough about the people to just um, target all the time. In fact, as much as possible, at least once, you ought to go through every Senate district, do every door. You know, and just see what you get. And I think the investment in that is huge. It takes me about the same time to do every door as it does to try and navigate just a few doors and figure out who's who and skip a door and everything, because I'm fast. If I just keep walking and knocking, I can do a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and uh, I, you know, like when I do it, I always go with somebody that's much more adept at it. And they go, okay, no, no, let's not do this. Let's do this. This, is, this door is not listed here. Let's go. So we skip quite a few doors. And I'm wondering if that's a mistake or what, you know. So most of the time, if you look at the evidence, we only know information like about 10% of the voters that we know really well. And mm-hmm. the rest is all a mystery. So I'm walking up to a door. And and there's toys all over the place, little sayings on signs and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, oh, okay, this feels kind of democratic to me. And I go to the door and I talk to them about better education. And it usually works. And I come to a, the next door and like every plant is lined up in a row and it has rocks around it. And it's, you know, very... <laughs> very ordered. And I go, okay, this feels like a Republican. I go to that door and I lead with fiscal responsibility. Uh You know, we do money better. We invest your tax dollars in the best way it could possibly be done. And uh, most of the time I'm right. Yeah. Well, you are, because if you look historically, when Democrats are in control, the economy is always better. I mean, FDR, I mean, right after FDR during Truman and into Eisenhower, we had the best middle class in the world. We were the envy of the world because we had, they had a, we had a, a higher tax bracket for, for corporations and for rich people, and that money was coming, uh, you know, down up rather than down. Uh, what am I saying? Yeah, down up rather than up down that it is today. Today, you know, Trump cut taxes so deeply in the last uh, when he was in power that we have no revenue. Right now, we're in. We're having budget uh, uh, crises, crises one after the other. We can't even raise a debt ceiling. It's just a mess, right? <laughs> I like to use examples for transportation because everybody has to basically get somewhere. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, if you have a car and it's 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 leaking oil just a little bit, and you regularly keep the oil up, it will run probably forever. Mm-hmm. But if you try and skip maintenance, you know, try not to do maintenance for a year or two, you can you know that engine's going to burn out because it's going to run out of oil. Right, right. That's what the Republicans do all the time. They wait way too long to fix or repair things, mm-hmm. things that would be a little fix and not too expensive early on. And that's true in everything. In education – you can get a preschooler that's having difficulty communicating, and you fix how they're communicating. They do better the rest of their career. Mm-hmm. You know, a little fix early on works in education. It works on roads. Mm-hmm. It works on cars. Mm-hmm. It works in, you know, when you're looking at planning a city, if you put a little bit more attention ahead of time, 
then you don't have to rebuild and it's expensive later on. Yes. You know, everything in government in our lives. You get what you pay for. It's that old expression, right? But not what you pay for. What you think ahead and plan well. What Democrats do gets you a better value. Yes, but I meant to say basically that revenue, when you when you tax the people that should be taxed, that revenue can go a long way, you know. I mean, you can fill you can like like what just happened with the infrastructure bill, you know, uh, how many jobs are being created? We're going to have beautiful roads now and bridges and airports and etc. and um people are going to say, "Wow. Look look what Democrats did." This is becoming the state to have a business in because of the way we handle our roads and bridges and infrastructure. Yes. Because if you locate in Minnesota, yes, our weather is bad, but we handle it. If you locate in one of the southern states, then the time that the weather goes bad, which is frequently, Uh all of a sudden you're out of business for a week or two. Which state would you want to live on, the reliable state or the unreliable state? Absolutely. Good point, Kelly. Really. If you were to advise a candidate, Kelly, of things to do or not to do, what are a couple of suggestions you have for the campaign to give them a better chance of success? For example, we were talking about Jim Carlson and and, uh, Matt uh, Bostrom and all those people that you helped can you uh, tell the listeners your thoughts about that? Well, first of all, if you're ever considering to be a candidate, I would start thinking and doing things a year or two out. And you don't have to commit, but you can look at your resume. You can look at what's put out on Google on you, what people say, and you can start thinking about what's the public perception of me, and you can change that, or you can change the story. Like if you had a drunken episode, you have to think about saying how that changed your life or your driving and how you learned from that. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes a powerful story. Um, nobody goes through life without ever having anything bad happen to them. I mean, I don't know anybody who claims they had a perfect life, you know. Mm-hmm. And everybody learns from from things. And it's learning stories that cover kind of the fudgy kind of, you know, stuff like that. You have to get to know the thousand best people in your neck of the woods. And you can get to know a thousand people. And if you do, then you have connections and things like that. You have to think about, um, you know, how you look, how you present yourself. You have to get used to being in a public and, um, a provocative person is good for blogging, but it's not good for a candidate. And so you have to think about, when do I do this and when do I not do this? Mm-hmm. And then I would start, um, so so those are the things that help. And of course, like reading a certain book might help, you know, because giving you a picture of what to do. If you're thinking of becoming a candidate, Find a campaign that looks like it's doing well and volunteer and see what they do well and see what you think about it. it because you have to know that experience. And in the year that you're going to become a candidate, I would suggest getting somebody to clean your house. That sounds like a little thing. <laughs> okay. But I can't tell you the number of times that my candidates said they weren't available because they had to clean. Wow, I never thought of it. And I'm like, for that one year, indulge in a cleaning service and get some things done for you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you have kids, which is wonderful, see if grandmom will take them a couple weekends, you know? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, yeah. if you get the grandmom service and you get the cleaning service, then suddenly your life is easier. A candidate has to be ready to take care of themselves and to think ahead. And if they have a good plan, they are so much better and and more into things. And that's the kinds of things. But there's a couple articles that answer the exact question in the book. So So. um, I don't need to natter on here. (laughs) (laughs) So hint, hint, listeners. (laughs) The book is available. Um, The last question before the, the shift 
and, and you know what the shift is, is mm-hmm. when we shift the questioning around. Um, can you explain to our listeners how the co-author of your book, uh, Ivor, was it pronounced? Ivor. Ivor, I keep saying that. Ivor Matz went out of his way to make sure that if a Republican were to read the book, it would be of no help to them. <laughs> I found this fascinating. Can you explain that? Well, Ivor has a, a wonderfully saucy way of speaking, and um, and it's, it's somewhat provocative, and, and Republicans generally can't handle it. So what Ivor did is he took all my articles, and he added a bunch of his articles where he's opinionating, <laughs> and he alternated them in such a way that if the Republicans tried to read the book, they would throw it against the wall in other disgust whenever they got to an Ivor section. <laughs> uh, was it because it's like he has uh, he, he talks uh, derogatorily about Republicans, or what well, say? let's just put it this way: <laughs> Republicans, you know, like George Santos, are just sometimes easy to poke fun at. Is that and, his name, though? Anthony, isn't it De- Anthony DeVolder or <laughs> some other crazy name? I don't know. <laughs> Wasn't it Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Um, George Santos uh, is looking to be on my show. Did you know that? <laughs> I am not surprised. Of course he'd want to be on this show. He is he he, he he of of course, and I can't wait to see what, what 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 or actually hear what he's going to say. Yeah, well, he said he's going to show up and drag as uh, Katara Ravash. <gasps> oh my! <laughs> no, just kidding. Well, but, you're you're going to have to put the you're going to have to take a picture. You know. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't have any video yet on this podcast. Maybe in the future, you know, when I. Uh, get more of a, a, a following or whatever um i could do some videos and put them on youtube or something you know that'd be fun you know? oh, of course yeah anyway now now we have come to the part of the show i like to call the shift where i shift the questioning away from your career and to your opinions <laughs> Opinions on current uh, current affairs. Is that okay with you? Are you ready let's, for that? Let's let's do the shift. Let's do the shift, and it's with an F. Make sure you say shift. Shift. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because okay. We know, otherwise, it becomes a problem with, with, <laughs> with some <laughs> Anyway, as of the taping of this show, we know that a drip, drip, drip of classified documents has been found at the Penn-Biden Center and at President Biden's house and also at former Vice President Pence's house. Okay, Why do you think there is a media frenzy about this when the former president had a myriad more documents with top-secret classifications in his possession? And in addition, he ignored all the requests for these documents. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, you know, uh, um, you know, when, when Democrats do something wrong, that's outrageous. But you know, but when Republicans do something wrong, it, that's forgivable. You know, that's just human nature. Uh-huh. You know, you got to start with that lens, and then 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 it all becomes clear. You know, right? You know, a, a Republican turns just the wrong signal. Well, that's a major crime. Uh-huh. You know, the you know, I mean, but but if a Republican does something, you know, you you just 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 shuck it away. You know, we know this, and that's the way it is. There's a problem with classification, though. We've overclassified a lot of things, so basically, people at high levels have to read a lot of classified documents. Mm-hmm. But I would contend that there's a difference between finding a document in a locked cabinet that's been safe forever. Mm-hmm. Versus something that's stuck in a moving box that's been moved for several places and nobody was paying attention to it and it was not under lock and key. And there's testimony that uh, some of those documents were actually either burned in a fireplace or flushed down the toilet. Did you hear that one? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's one way of keeping it secret. Um. There must be something he doesn't want 
to get out. You know? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! But but again, like you said, if it was when President Biden's um, documents were found, did you notice how it was on a loop on on the right wing media? How he was just so irresponsible and so this that and the other thing. But there, you know, Voldemort was fine when he did it. You know, <laughs> and, and so. Well, you know, Trump did say that he could shoot someone, you know, you know, in the middle of a big city and people and and he could get away with it. And I think that's been demonstrated. I think that 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 is true statement. He was absolutely right. And but the thing with with Pence's documents, and this is just me, you know, you got to remember there was an insurrection. Uh, 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 on January 6th, and he probably in, su- in such a he was in such disarray, and his handlers were like probably just trying to get everything out of there. And so they could, uh, that's an excuse for him. The same thing with Biden, because when Trump was coming in, he wanted all of Obama's stuff out. Goodbye, get out, you know. And maybe Biden's handlers were also, you know, rummaging through papers and trying to get everything out, but and some classified documents got stuck in there. So I'm. I, the difference, though, this is what I'm trying to tell the listeners, and I repeat this a million times. With Mike Pence and President Biden, they are cooperating. They're saying, come over to my house, take whatever you want. I don't care. I'm all in, you know, whereas Voldemort is not doing that. He's saying, (laughs) oh, those are actually mine. He could literally think that they're his and they become his, you know. So it's a very different, uh, you know, ball of wax, don't you think? Yeah, cooperation is very different than the defiance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, also, as of, t- uh, of today's taping, there were at least, and now I don't even know how many since that, but at least 36 mass shootings in the country. And it's just the end of January. Think about that. Uh, another 11 people were killed and 10 more wounded on January uh, 22nd in Monterey Park in California and seven more in Half Moon Bay in California. And these were back-to-back, by the way. Um, what are we as a nation doing wrong? What are we doing wrong? The other nations have guns. They have uh, mental illness in their countries and et cetera. But why is it the United States that we are daily hearing people getting mowed down by guns? So this is this is a thing where um, it started, and the first person who did it was outrageous. But then it became an idea that kind of seductive, you know, that somebody say, "Oh, I'm having a horrible time in my life." Maybe I could go out with a bang. And that's our problem. I think we need culturally to set up a way for people to express that they are truly frustrated and they are truly angry in a way that doesn't involve guns. Hmm. And unfortunately, all of our our media, our stories, everything – you know, I mean, in every movie that has has an action sequence, what do people do when they have to express frustration? Well, in the movies, you they use violence. Gun. They yeah. pull out a gun. Um, so in a way, it's our own fault for modeling what we don't want. <laughs> and. Yes. And, 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 you know, when have you seen a movie where they had a long, peaceful negotiation that went on for days and then they resolved something? I mean, is there a movie like that? Not I can't that even I can... think of. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. No. And, and I must admit, I, I'm part of the problem, too, because I just, uh, you know, I just watched the Mission Impossible movie last night, you know. Oh, yeah? <laughs> You know, talk about solving things by violence. That's really bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we have to think about, can we resolve things? I mean, when do you hear about two people who are really at odds with each other getting together and having a three-hour discussion over coffee? Yeah. I mean, do you even hear those stories? But see, I hate to interrupt you, but this is what I feel. If you're in a parking lot 
just I use this example all the time. If you're in a parking lot and, and somebody pulls in front of you and takes your spot, let's just say, and you're angry, if there's no gun in your possession or the other person's possession, the worst that's going to happen, the wor- I mean, when I, when I say the worst, the worst thing could be you'll, you'll come to blows. Nobody's going to die, okay? Or the best thing could be just I'll, I'll call you the F-bomb a few times <laughs> and you'll call me the S-bomb a few times, whatever. You know, we'll be, you know. But when you have a gun with you, like most Americans well, I shouldn't say most, a lot of Americans do, it becomes a tool of intimidation. It becomes a tool. So correct. It becomes a tool that says, you know what? He thinks he's going to get the better of me today. And you whip out that that uh, a- AR-15 and you just n- blow him out, you know, and it gives you the satisfaction. Meantime, you just killed somebody, you know. I mean, so I think the availability in our country is 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 ridiculous it's 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 i i heard it's easier to get a gun in some states than to buy sudafed yes you are so correct <laughs> sudafed <laughs> i mean what you know when i was a kid maybe this is saying something about where i was raised but if somebody did something bad we were likely to moon them <laughs> <laughs> okay. you know you know but but that was how do you put it? You both walk away, you or, know, or flip them the bird, right? or flip them the bird, right? Yeah, which is, you know, not polite, but it's not going to kill you know, them. Either. I mean, we need we need a way to say I'm frustrated. That's not lethal, mm-hmm. you know, and that doesn't land you in jail for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, that's that's basically. Uh, our level of communication has become guns, and we need to start saying that there are other ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to be responsible in even our movie making in, in expressing that and balancing that and saying, you know, we can solve things in a different way. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I, and, and also guns are, um, you know, um, when, you, when you buy a gun in a, in a gun shop or, or, you know, there's supposed to be a background check. A lot of times they're they're not even done. You could be a, like you could have killed your wife, your first wife, you know. And and these people are getting guns anyway. I don't know how they get that loophole. You know what I'm saying? Uh, they go to gun shows um, and and where these people are like, oh, don't worry, here have the gun, just give me the money. You know, I I'm I you know who's monitoring them? You're there with that person, with that person selling you the gun. And you're there. Who's watching to make sure that you do make that background? <laughs> Nobody's there. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And then in California, where these two shootings occurred, they're surrounded by states where it's easier to, it's harder to get bubble gum than it is to get a gun. So they can bring them right over the, the state line and use them. You know, so when people say, "Oh, California has strict gun laws," but look at all those murders. Well, if you don't have laws throughout the country that are uniform. You know, where every state follows the same laws, it's not going to make a difference, right? And, and, and not only that, but guns don't really work well for self-defense. I mean, that sounds really weird to say that, but it takes a while to draw a gun. It takes at least a second or two. Mm-hmm. And if you're close enough for me, um, you know, if you were cl- close enough that a second or two, you know, you're going to give me... <laughs> I can punch you before you get that gun out. Yeah, yeah. Home invasion, I could see. You know, having it in your yeah. in your bed bed. What do they call it? Your um, the, what's that <laughs> called? On the dresser. Side? Yeah. Dress, side. Yeah. Side dresser. Whatever. Because if you're hearing a noise and you hear footsteps in your house, that's a good way to thwart them. But you don't need an AR-15. That's an aggressive weapon. That's an offensive weapon. That's if you're being invaded by 15 people, which doesn't usually happen in the United States. Have you ever had 15 people try to rob your house at one time? I mean, oh, I, I, I think that's probably the police if there's 15 people in front. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being lo- I'm, I mean, log- I'm trying to be logical. You know, I mean, I could see you can have a handgun that shoots, you have six, six bullets in the gun. Somebody comes in your house. You shoot him. 
fine, you know. But you don't need an AR-15 with with hundreds and hundreds of <laughs> rounds of ammunition to to thwart a, a, a robber from your ha- in your house. You know, I don't. So get it, but. just imagine you've left the window open. You don't know that, and you hear. Uh-huh. And something's coming into your bedroom, and you bring out the AR, you know, whatever, and and you shoot at it, and blood splatters all over the place, and you turn on the lights, and it's a squirrel. <laughs> that, well, that's an interesting story. That sounds like a uh, that sounds like a Twilight Zone episode. But uh, anyway, um, so oh. I love this question coming up. This is this is the question of the year. Okay. Really. Are you ready for this? Yes. Okay. Now, this show wouldn't be complete without discussing the mess that is George Santos, a.k.a. Anthony DeVolder, a.k.a. Katara Ravash. I love that. Katara Ravash. Among <laughs> other names. How... How dangerous is it to have someone who has totally lied on their resume in Congress and what can be done to prevent this from ever happening again? And I want to add something to that question. Um, If he was making $50,000, like they claim he was, on his taxes, and then the year he was running, all of a sudden he's making hundreds and thousands of dollars. Where is that money coming from? Yes. That's the scariest thing. So uh, do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I think this really points out the differences between the two parties. Because uh, here in Minnesota, I know for a fact that when anybody runs mm-hmm. and we do a convention, that the people who go to the convention really check out the people. They they interview people they put a lot of effort into it. And we may not have found everything that George Santos said wrong or something, but we're pretty good at digging out a lot of information and knowing the background. Mm-hmm. So we really feel like we know our candidates, and it's our responsibility as being that first level of endorsement. So mm-hmm. before you get a DFL endorsement, every person who's part of that convention feels duty-bound to do some research. Mm-hmm. The, the height of hypocrisy, though, uh, Kelly, is that Speaker McCarthy, you know who he is, uh, <laughs> I call him 15-vote McCarthy, um, he has the nerve, the unmitigated gall to not want Adam Schiff or uh, uh, um, e- e- Elon Omar or some other person I can't, who I can't think of right now on committees because he thinks they're compromised. But this guy, who nobody knows where he's from, they don't even know his real name, it's okay to have him on a committee. Okay? Isn't that crazy we, to you? Yes. The, the, the Republican Party has flown, I don't know how do you put it. The you coop. Know, yep. They're, they're, <laughs> you know, they used to be, there used to be a common set of values, between everybody. Uh-huh. And it doesn't feel like the Republicans are sharing some of those. At least, not. I'm not saying so much for Republican voters, but the people who are actually getting elected. I think that this is the money in politics, that the money owns the Republican candidates more than their, their party does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's just the direction it's been going. And it's pretty obvious to me that their mission is not to make good government but to make sure that government doesn't get in the way of anything that that the big owners, the big money people want to do. Yes, yes. Money talks and you know what what walks, right? You heard that expression? Oh, yeah. BS walks, yeah. Um, Another question. Okay. I think think going forward, this is – I'm going to make this like a thing now on the downright (laughs) upright show. I am going to ask all my guests to give a prediction – about who they think will be the Republican nominee and who will be the Democratic nominee in the 2024 general election. Um, Let's start with what you think. And by the way, this is episode 20, so this is a monumental episode. Yeah, and and, and so I'm going to do this as a little little shtick at the end of my show so I can get everybody's opinion who they think is going to be the nominee for the... Republicans and the nominee for the Democrats. So we'll start with you. What do you think? So my my prediction on the Democratic side, I mean, I, I realize that 
that Santos is looking um George um George Santos George Santos is looking like, you know, a pretty much a shoe-in. But You mean DeSantis. DeSantis, that's yeah, what I mean. Maybe his real name is maybe his name is I don't I don't do too much with Republicans because <laughs> maybe but, that's his other name, who knows. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> They're the same people. Oh my god! Well, one, well, they both did drag, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, anyway, anyway, yeah. My prediction is it's somebody who's not on our radar. You know, I said that myself. Yeah. And the reason I'm saying this is because the early people get picked off, and I think there's somebody who's really been studying things and the has a plan. Yep, yep, yep. And they're going to announce at just the right time and run a flash campaign. Mm-hmm. And by the time that that uh, in, in, in a year or so, the early contenders get all sullied. They get old. They get dusty. You know, they're just no longer. Mm-hmm. And Republicans like flash, so they're going to look for the new flashy candidate. And we don't know who that is yet. Mm-hmm. No, we don't. And I, you know, I kind of think myself like you that it's going to be somebody we, we that's not even crossing our minds at this point because DeSantis seems like the obvious person but he's got so many skeletons in his closet right now I mean he he's not even allowing AP African-American studies <laughs> to be taught in Florida I mean that to me is not only disgusting it's it's, it's flat out racist I'm going to say it I'm sorry if, if my listeners don't you know I think he's a racist because if you let Italian studies, AP Italian studies be taught, AP Irish studies be taught, AP whatever studies, and then when it comes to African-American studies, you have a big-ass problem. I think you are a racist. I'm sorry. I Hate me if you want to, but I call a spade a spade. I think that's what it is. You know, what do you say? I think so. And on the Democratic side. Yeah, on the Democratic side. I think we're going to have a wide open space. Um, I don't think that, uh, you know, the current president, I think, will retire, but I don't think he's going to announce that until the last moment. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. But, uh, th- but that's a guess. I don't throw know. Throw a name out, though. You know? No, I can't throw a name because I don't think it's somebody that's on our horizon yet. Oh, yeah? Okay. Because I think we're going we're gonna to bust it wide open. I think you're going to see stages with 11 candidates. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be the best persuader. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to vote for a person who's not only the best persuader, but the best persuader of people who aren't Democrats, mm-hmm. you know, who, who are on the margins. And somebody who could go on Fox News and just rip them up. That sounds like Pete Buttigieg. Well, I think, <laughs> I think, he's, I think he's the category of people that we'll be looking at, you know, but Somebody unfortunately, who... though, though, great um, Kelly, I, I, this is just me. I don't. I think Americans are very. They're not ready for LGBTQ plus people yet in, in in that kind of an office. I mean, I hate to say it. I wish that wasn't so. Um, other countries have had um, uh, LGBTQ plus people, like in Iceland, they had a prime minister that was gay. So. Uh, but I don't know. Americans, I don't know. We're always like 10 steps behind. I, I don't believe that. I believe, yeah. Yeah. Th- those people who are anti, they're also called Republicans, you know. <laughs> and so so, so I think it's wide open. Okay. Um, you know, and, 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 but I think that there's, there's a lot of governor candidates. There's a lot of senator candidates that don't make the news, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, who had heard of Hakeem until recently? Mm-hmm. But apparently, he's an extraordinary person at building coalitions. Yes. I mean, he could be one of the names. And he's a fellow New Yorker. Yes. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, we have a great depth of really great people. We don't know who they are yet as an average you know, mm-hmm. person just sitting back here. Right, right, right. But give them a chance, and it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, I agree. That's you and I are going to agree on that. Interesting is not the word. I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to throw a name out. This is just my idea. Ponder it for a while. 
Governor Gavin Newsom of California, the man that tried, they tried to, uh, 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 what do they call, recall him, and he survived a recall and two more elections. So the man is, he's got something, he's got that je ne sais quoi that I think people are looking for. He's a, he's a bulldog. And Democrats have never really had a bulldog. You know, the, 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 the Republicans have had Trump, they've had Bush, you know, they've had these very aggressive kind of candidates. Whereas the Democrats, we always have the nice guy like Obama and, <laughs> and Clinton and Jimmy Carter. But watch out for Gavin Newsom, he'll bite your head right off. Well, I so. can't wait. <laughs> I can't well, wait. Well, that's just my opinion, but, you know, I could be wrong. Anyway, uh, before we end the show, uh, Kelly, is there anything, um, any political story or issue that I haven't mentioned that you would like to talk about briefly um, as the clock ticks? Well, one of the things I guess I would want to say to everyone yeah. is everything looks impossible until we do it. You know, um, you know. I, I mean, LGBTQ. Remember when we were were facing that constitutional amendment, and we didn't think that there was a hope, mm-hmm. and we all got together and we strategized, and we won. Mm-hmm. Everything looks impossible when you're coming from this direction. I love that. That's true. You yes. know. So, so to me, what I would say is. You know, figure out what you can do as a person, what your contribution is. You know, two hours on a Saturday, in my case, my whole life. But, you know, you, you know, figure out what, what, what contribution and have hope and have belief and get together and think about it. We can win. We, the only way we've ever won is by a small group of people getting together and then energizing everybody to keep going. Yes. It always looks impossible from this side of things. And from the other side, when it's done, well, of course we could do that. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So we can do things. And that's why I love Minnesota. I really do. And I'm, and, and I and I'm not blowing smoke in your face. I, I'm a New Yorker by birth, but a Minnesotan in the heart. And I'll tell you why. Before the, con, uh, the uh, Supreme Court passed marriage equality, Minnesota passed it before they did. That shows you something. That shows you that this state has love, compassion, and understanding for difference. I love that whole thing. And other states don't have what we have. We have that je ne sais quoi. I love that, je, that word, je ne sais quoi. <laughs> uh, it's something that you can't put your finger on. It's just something that we as Minnesotans are proud of, that we have, that no other state could say. You know. And now we've come full circle again <laughs> to bragging about our own state. I love it. I know. We, 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 we love our state, right? Tell the we truth. We love our state. We love Minnesota. Anyway, we have come to the end of the show, unfortunately. And uh, will you ever like to come back again? And we'll do a. I want to do. I want to do like a, a forum show where we sit with a few people and talk. You know, shoot the breeze about different topics. Would you be into that? Oh, Anything? sure. I have other topics. Yeah. Yes, sure. I'd be I, glad to. And I really enjoyed having you. It was wonderful. You're, you're a fantastic <laughs> person. And for more information about uh, Grace Kelly, you can go to practicalcampaigns.com. And or and or follow her on Facebook at Grace Kelly. So thank you so much, Kelly, for spending time with us on the Downright Upright show. And to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us today. And please stay tuned for more of the Downright Upright show in the future. And this is your host, Philip Anthony, saying ciao for now. Ciao, Kelly.